Who's ready for the word? How many, are, how many love that God speaks through his word? That the Holy Spirit that came upon the authors of scripture comes upon the listener and the reader even today to bring understanding and insight. How many believe that in the world's wisdom we could not discern the ways of God? We needed a divine escort named the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. And I loved this. I had a guy... Um, Named Ephraim, he came, he was, it's a random story, I'm not going to use time to tell the random story, but he shows up at my office right before the altar on Wednesday night, and I hear, I need to talk to you, okay? And I love, he, he said a one-liner, he says, <clears throat> wisdom is knowledge put into action. Isn't that good? He goes, I, he was just trying to testify and share his heart with me, he was from Pasadena, random story, Uber driver, showed up here randomly, sharing his life story, and then he just dropped that one-liner on me. Yeah, I know so much, but it's not wisdom yet because it's not put into action. How many want knowledge to turn into wisdom? We begin to obey what Jesus reveals to us. So if, you, if you've been with us, we're, we're in the middle of, of Mark chapter 8 through Mark chapter 10, and I can't wait to really cover some ground because I got chapter 10 next week, this week, I'm really excited about the message. I think it's gonna challenge us, provoke us to want more of what Jesus has, amen? Who wants more? And so open up your Bibles to Mark chapter eight. Jesus has just fed, for the second time, the masses, thousands of people with, wait, the, the hurdlers are here. Hold on, I didn't even, I didn't even, I just now look, give it up for the hurdlers. They moved to, to Arizona. So good to see you. I can't wait to give you hugs after service. Praise God, sorry. Mark chapter eight, verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's going to be a lot more words of the Lord, but that's the kickoff passage. And so here Jesus challenges his disciples that there's, there's this thing called yeast, and you have to go back to the Exodus narrative. Remember what God told Israel right before he delivered them from their slavery and bondage. What did every household of, each, of Israel have to do in preparation for Passover? Get rid of the yeast. Get rid of the yeast on your house. And yeast throughout the story of God began to take on this symbol of wickedness or impurity, compromise, defilement. And so here Jesus warns his disciples to get rid of the yeast, that, 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 that the leaven, the influence, and the wicked influence of both Pharisees and Herod You've got to beware. Turn to your neighbor and say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And we know at the very heart of this yeast, it was the rejection to believe and repent and receive that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. But as I was sitting on this passage, remember for, for a couple weeks, I've just lived in Rome, Mark 8, 9, and 10. And I think it represents something a, a little bit more pointed. And... Uh, what is the yeast of the Pharisees? What is the yeast of Herod? You know, the religious spirit, the political spirit, so much could be said. But I want to just really zero in. It says in John 1, 14, because at the heart of the yeast of the Pharisees and, the, and Herod is the rejection to receive and respond to Jesus as he's revealed. 
And so it says this in John 1:14, and the word became flesh and lived among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son. Read this last part with me. Full of grace and truth. And so what, what I want to do is I want to just give some, some uh, contrast between the yeast or leaven of the Pharisees and then the yeast or leaven of Herod. All in favor say aye. So the Pharisees loved truth. Everyone say truth. In fact, they built an entire system around the revealed law and truth of God with like 10 more laws and then 20 more laws. They loved truth. And there are a lot of people out there that have a sort of the, you know, it, and it's good to love truth, but how many know Jesus is full of grace and truth? And so to me, this represents those who are influenced by their love of truth. They build systems on truth. But the problem with only being influenced by the truth is it's only half of the story. Jesus Christ is full of what? Grace and truth. Their whole system was built on their deep conviction that if they were doctrinally pure enough, if they were faithful enough to God's covenant, then he would send the Messiah, then Israel would be restored, then the foreign armies would no longer oppress, then God would send his ruler to crush Israel's enemies. They believed that if they could just get truthful enough and obedient enough, that then God would come. And aren't you glad for the gospel of Jesus that we could never get pure good enough that Jesus comes to us in our mess? And so their actions were built on the conduct that God legislated, but they did not take into account the character of the God they were trying to obey. Amen. When God revealed the character of his nature to Moses in Exodus 34, it said this in verse six, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. How many are thankful for the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger God who abounds in love and faithfulness? The reality is the Pharisees needed a deeper revelation of not just the conduct that God desired and designed, but also the character of God that actually pulls the heart into a place of wanting to obey the commands of God. They needed grace, John 1, 16 and 17, in place of grace. How many are thankful for the grace of God? God's accepting, adopting, renewing, restoring favor that enables us to obey and to be faithful to what he calls us to do. So this yeast of the Pharisees, of which I know nobody's under the influence of in this room, The yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees takes many different forms. <clears throat> a passion for truth, legalistic tendencies, more severe judgment on those around us than ourselves, are bent towards self-righteousness, an us-versus-them mentality, crushing people in the name of a cause that's rooted in righteousness, Adopting a mentality where the ends justify the means. Am I talking to anybody who's ever been under the influence of the leaven of the Pharisees? 
where we think the ends justify the means, but how many know in the kingdom of God, the means are a part of the ends. How we live, how we move and have our being, being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus by his grace, it matters not just the end result, but how we get there. So this, this yeast can infuse us, this, even this, it's rooted in goodness, the love for truth, but we need the understanding and we need the, the, the transformation of God's grace and truth. Legalism, has anyone ever been a, uh, a uh, what, what am I looking for? Has anyone been targeted by that propensity to legalism? I told you, I, I, uh, I, I'm both thankful and I lament my, my youth when I was, I was so, I had such an awareness of the holiness of God and I am, man, I do not regret that at all. But I remember anytime I would make, make a mistake and the Lord's healing me of my legalism. Come on, someone say, amen, pastor. You're doing better, you're getting better. But I remember if I would sin or I would, I would make a mistake or do something that I knew didn't measure up to God as a teenager, I would either that same day or next day, I would like read three, you know, two hours of the Bible and pray until I passed out. And legalism is that, that propensity to think we can earn our way back to God, but aren't you glad God has come to us and his grace can transform us? So that's the yeast of the Pharisees. Everyone say the yeast of the Pharisees and watch out for it. It'll get you. It will. Because so much of that yeast is rooted in truth, but it's just not the whole picture. Jesus is obviously full of grace and truth and he was irresistible to those far from God. Come on, somebody. Now there's the yeast of Herod, the political spirit. All pomp, no purity. All fame and fortune and favor, but one through violence, greed, deception, murder, and lies. Herod was a chump. Just read history. His whole dynasty was built on violence, murder, and lies. Willing to sell his soul to Rome's bidding so that he could have a title, power, position, prestige, possessions, I've actually stood in some of Herod the Great's old fortresses in Israel. This man was willing to do anything to get ahead, no matter what it costs, even if it was somebody's head. You think, Chad, we're good people. We're not influenced by the yeast of Herod. I've never made a choice built on power or my possessions or to get a position or to increase my popularity, or to maintain a level of prestige that kept me ahead of the Joneses? The reality is, anyone can come under the influence of the yeast of Herod. When we fail to live out of the kingdom call of Jesus on our lives, and we begin to slide into worldliness, and think that life is about power, possessions, positions, popularity, fame, or whatever. Any of us, if we're not finding the deep satisfaction in Christ, we will settle for far lesser loves. Am I talking to anyone today who's ever been under the influence of Herod's leaven? But Jesus 
wants to be both full of grace and truth, and he wants the reality of who he is to leaven our lives so that we look just like him. It says this in John chapter eight. To the Jews who did believe, who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, read it with me, and the truth will set you free. So the, the Herod represents the rejection really of both grace and truth, hello, but certainly the idea of false grace that how I live doesn't really matter as long as I get ahead, right? But Jesus comes along and he wants to reveal both the grace and the truth that our, our, our broken, bound by sin lives need so that he can liberate us so we can get on living the life, John 10, 10, that Jesus longs to give us through his grace and truth. We need both grace and truth. I love this passage in Titus 2.11. It says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Come on, how many know someone right now that needs to know that there is salvation available to them through the grace of God? Whether it's a spouse, a family member, a friend, a coworker, someone that you have favor with or influence with, I wanna testify of the good news of God's grace that there is salvation for all people in the grace of God. What is salvation? It's the acceptance. It's being rescued, forgiven, washed, and made brand new as a sheer gift, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. How many believe this salvation is too good to keep to ourselves? And this grace that comes to us through God and through the Son and by the Spirit, it is a grace that rescues us from death to life and darkness to light. And then what else does grace do? When it starts to change us and it rescues and liberates us, grace begins to teach us. Someone say, grace begins to teach us. So grace and truth are connected. It says in Titus 2.12, let's read this together on the screens. It teaches us all together to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives someday when we feel like it. How many are thankful that there's grace today to live a brand new life? And I know everyone's on a journey and we've got troughs and valleys. I know we've got, if that even made sense, peaks and valleys, crests and troughs. Come on, help me out, surfers. I think that's the language here. But none of that's excuse to say, I can live, this is, again, this is the yeast of Herod. I can live any old way as long as I've got the power and the position. Come on, Jesus said, watch out for that leaven. You don't want that change in your, you wanna say yes to grace and then you wanna be a student of that grace so you cannot just be sort of a little bit in the kingdom, but you're a full-fledged participant, fully alive in the grace of God. The power that comes from being oriented and aligned to his kingdom purposes, plans, filled with his presence and given over to participate in his kingdom. This is what grace does. Grace is our teacher Say that to your neighbor. Grace is your teacher. Grace empowers the students of Jesus to grow in purity, integrity, and to live full and free lives in the kingdom of God. 
Come on, how many are thankful for grace and truth this morning? And so Jesus, when he says, watch out for the yeast of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, both of them reject a dynamic reality of my character. I want you to be leavened by me. I want my life, and I, I love this, I was thinking about this in prayer this morning, the only way to be, to be cleansed or purified from the yeast of the Pharisees, legalism, religious spirit, or Herod, political power, spirit, is to take on the yoke of Jesus so you can be transformed by his life and lifestyle. So you don't want the yeast of this, then take the yoke of Jesus upon your shoulders. We discover that full and flourishing life comes from both the grace and the truth that are found in Jesus Christ. And what does it do? Truth and grace help us. Verse 13 of Titus 2, just to close that verse out. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all, say that with me, from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. How many are grateful that grace transforms us from a reluctant, okay, I'll do it if he says it, to a I can't wait to obey what he says next. Come on, who would testify that grace and truth have done that to your life? It used to be like the dog and the, oh, I don't know, kind of selfish, but how many are thankful we can actually grow up in the grace and truth of God where obedience is our highest aim and greatest delight? That's what this passage is saying. They're eager, say eager. We're eager to do what is good. Not so that we can earn anything, but the grace of God and the truth of God are so glorious. They are so invasive and they have such a capacity to transform us. We just can't wait to reciprocate the goodness, grace, and kindness of God that he's given to us through his son, Jesus. Oh, if someone could say amen to the glory of God's grace and God's truth. And this is what Jesus wants his disciples, his students, to be influenced by. Not the Pharisees, not Herod, and the little leaven that causes you to rise up. And I want to leaven you. I want the yeast of my Matthew 13 kingdom to transform you all the way down. And so just as I end, I'm going to give you three or four episodes where we see the disciples that maybe are their stories there so that we can relate to them. We're gonna see how they were leavened in, in, by the yeast of Pharisees and Herod instead of through the yeast or the, the yoke of Jesus. In Mark chapter nine, if you remember the story, Peter, James, and John are up on the mountaintop with Jesus transfigured. His clothes are shinier white than any bleach on the planet can make their garments. And he hears the voice from the cloud, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Moses and Elijah disappear, Jesus is left standing because he's so much more glorious and the fulfillment of all the hopes of the prophets and the law. And they come down and remember there's a squirmish. The other nine disciples are down the mountain just like Aaron when Moses was on the mountain and you know what happens when you're kind of, you lose touch with Jesus. Come on somebody, what happens when you start losing touch with Jesus? You forget who you are and you forget what your purpose is, 
And then you think it's reliant upon you instead of being God-reliant through prayer for his power to help you do what you could never do because of your own talent, but only because you're connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. And so he comes down and Jesus sees the nine disciples arguing with some teachers of the law. And there's this little boy who's been demonized since he was, a, he was a little child. And the disciples who were just anointed three chapters earlier to cast out demons and to proclaim the kingdom, when this dad brings their boy who's demonized, they can't do what they used to be able to do. Come on, somebody. And they got into this spirit of arguing. Anyone ever think that we're in like a cultural moment where arguing is like the normal mode of communication? Agitation, cynicism, criticism, sarcasm, and they got in this mess with their opposition, and because they got derailed and distracted, they started getting influenced by other things than the reality of Jesus and his kingdom. They couldn't do what Jesus already empowered them to do three chapters earlier. Who has ever, who's ever been there? You walked with him for a little bit. He, you, you lost connection with Jesus and then you found yourself in a situation that once meant victory, but now you're like, oh, bummer, defeat. And Jesus says this after they went indoors, in verse 29, 28 and 29 of Mark 9, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus said, this kind can only come out by prayer. Say that with me. This kind can only come out by prayer. And so what does this represent? This represents the yeast of pride and presumption. Has anyone ever been influenced by pride or presumption? Void of prayer, which is the relational reliance upon the power of God. So here, the other nine disciples blessed their hearts. They didn't get the secret show. We're gonna get to the other three in a second because it's not like they weren't influenced by other yeast in the next three stories I'm gonna tell you. But these guys, they somehow thought they could rely on past experiences instead of being up to date in their God-reliant attitude. Come on, who has ever tried to live on some past fumes, but the Lord's like, I've got more fuel and fire for you today. You've gotta press in, you've gotta receive it. How many know you can't afford to live on the past? You need to stay up to date in your God-reliant posture of prayer. Am I talking to anybody today? And so this represents the yeast of pride and presumption. How many know we cannot afford to live and be leavened by pride or by presumption? The only remedy for both is to stay in the posture of prayer. And I love this. I've been saying this a lot on the videos I've been making. Prayer is that relational reliance upon the power and provision of God. Say relational reliance. So I know him and I rely on him and prayer is that mode of living that keeps us in the flow of his provision and his power. All right, so has anyone ever been influenced by pride or presumption? What's the remedy? Lifestyle of prayer. Next story, we're almost done. This is a few more little stories to show how the disciples past and present can be influenced by the yeast other than the yeast of Jesus in the kingdom. Verse, verse 33 in chapter nine. When they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, the disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Oh. 
Don't you hate it that Jesus can discern your hidden thoughts and secret motives? No? Okay. Of course, I mean, if think, of, think of when Peter, James, and John come down and they get to share with the other nine what they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. You would probably be arguing about who's, gonna, who's the greatest after like, if this guy's, we're going up to Jerusalem. He already told us he's gonna die once. He's about to tell us he's gonna die twice. But I wanna be the greatest. I mean, come on, who's ever lived the sort of jockey for position lifestyle? Like, I just gotta get mine, I gotta get ahead. And how many know this represents the yeast of greatness, which equals power over the other? Has anyone ever been influenced by this yeast or this leaven? Trying to exert your power or your force over somebody else to get what you want instead of what's best for for Jesus's kingdom and the other. And Jesus gives us a remedy for this. Oh, I don't really love this remedy, but it's a good remedy because it's Jesus. Sitting down, verse 35, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child and he placed, and he placed, and he took a little child whom he placed among them Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome only me, but the one who sent me. So what is Jesus's remedy for the yeast of power over and jockeying for position in the endless rat race? Come on, who has ever been exhausted by the endless rat race of me, mine, I gotta take it, I gotta go, Jesus says that the remedy for this leaven is adopting a spirit and posture of servanthood and humility. And I wanna just say this, that servanthood and humility are the pillars that kingdom greatness is built upon. Have you ever been around someone who just walks in a spirit of servanthood and humility? What did you feel? What did you think? What did you see? This is the call of Jesus. These are the twin pillars of kingdom greatness. One more quick story. This is amazing. Verse 38. It's the very next story. I told you the whole chapter are little episodes that we see the disciples being influenced by the leaven or yeast of something other than Jesus. Chapter 9, verse 38. Teacher, said John, We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. This represents the yeast of us versus them. It's the mentality that we and our tribe are superior to them and their tribe. How many think we are suffering a little bit in this moment from tribalism, the us versus them? No one wanted to say amen to that, but I'm telling you, it's the air we're breathing. Even in the church, among denominations and expressions, we're better, we're our style, our music, our preaching, our doctrines, are. and there's this, this yeast that can get into your heart that even when someone's doing something like in this story, driving out demons, how many would say that's a pretty good thing to be doing because demons are of the devil? But because they don't have our flavor or our flag or our brand, we, we lump them in 
to the, the to the other to them, and we think that just because God's not doing His thing in and through us, He certainly can't be doing His thing in and through them. How many want this yeast? broken off and banished from our hearts. How many are gonna think we're gonna need all of God's people and all of his flavors and expressions, those that lift up Jesus in this hour operating at full capacity? And Jesus says, you cannot be influenced by the yeast of us versus them. He goes on to say, do not stop them in verse 39. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is actually for us. How many have ever been, man, I grew up in this yeast and leaven. Trained to be skeptical. And then I cloaked it in truth because I love the Bible. And they don't, how many know we can trust God? I love Jude. I'm a defender of the faith. I will quote passages. I love the scriptures. But I have grown in my understanding in these days that there are going to be flavors and expressions of those who love and serve Jesus that are going to be different than me. That doesn't mean it's us versus them. It's we. We need our brothers and sisters of different shapes, sizes, styles, and structures in this hour because as darkness increases, we're gonna need a release of grace and a glorious light to transform those who've got eyes to see, ears to hear, and ready to respond to the gospel. There's always gonna be different expressions and flavors of the kingdom, but I wanna just declare the truth that God is always doing more out there than he is just with us in here. How many are thankful that God is on the move and he's working? How many have ever been influenced by the us versus them? Oh. And then lastly, the last little mini story of Mark chapter nine. And man, I just hope you'll read Mark 8, 9, and 10 today and this week. This, we're going to chapter 10 next week and we're here landing the plane. The last little episode shows us another type of yeast that influences us. Mark chapter nine, verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And that is a severe warning. But here's what this represents. It's the yeast of my actions and my attitudes only impact my life. Has anyone ever been influenced by that yeast or that leaven? It's just my sin. It's just my addiction. It's just my habit. How many know that is a lie from the pit of hell? How we live and what we operate out of impacts all of those around us. And the, 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 the lie of this yeast is that you're, it's just your life and no one is around and no one, and how many know that this is a lie from the pit of hell? This yeast of being self-absorbed and selfish, destructive lifestyles, that doesn't mean there's not grace for you to be transformed and accepted, but it's that yeast that says what you, it doesn't really matter how you live or what you do. You live as an island unto yourself, and the scriptures are clear. None of us lives as an island unto themselves. We're connected. Amen. And Jesus is like, guys, you've got to watch out for this yeast, the yeast that says, it's not that big a deal. 
And he's saying for those who take a, a lackadaisical attitude towards causing others to stumble because of our own activities, attitudes, or actions, he has a pretty sober remedy for us. It says this in verse 43. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and thrown into hell. And what does this represent? How many believe that in the name of grace, there's a whole lot of garbage that we accept as normative and it's called cheap grace? Come on, how I live doesn't really matter. God will forgive me. Anybody ever believe that lie? Come on, someone's gotta be honest in this room besides me. And we take a low view of sin. It doesn't really matter. Jesus paid it all, man. I'm just a work in progress so I can allow all of this compromise in my life and it doesn't matter. Anybody been there besides me growing up? And what Jesus says is that actually in my kingdom, you do not take a passive view towards sin. You don't take a, oh, I'll just live with it. I'll just get over it eventually when I'm done sowing my oats and having a little Jesus on the side. Jesus is not your mistress. He is your bridegroom king that wants your whole heart. Oh, that was a good one right there. That was sharp. That was zingy. I didn't mean it. I meant it, but. Come on, does Jesus actually want you to cut your hand off, your foot, and your eye? Help me. He's using what we call hyperbole. He's using extreme language to say, you can't afford to allow anything to leaven your heart and to draw it away from me. It's not worth it. Come on, somebody. The wages of sin is death. Wages are things you draw on every two weeks. It's not just an eternity separated from him. It's a whole lifestyle, like kind of living estranged. Your destiny is not to live estranged to your master. It's to live heart to heart, hand to hand, soul to soul, spirit to spirit, to live and move and have your being in him. And nothing is worth coming between him and us. Nothing. And this, this yeast... This yeast, it represents that a little bit of this is okay. I can just leave a little, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm under renovation. And that is true. We're all under renovation. But how many know, Jesus says, if there's things in your life that are causing you or those around you to stumble, do not sit passively, get into the flow of God's grace and let's deal with it together. Let's go to battle, let's go to war, let's cut it off, let's pluck it out. He's using this extreme language to say that the yeast of the kingdom says this, no amount of compromise or destructive attitudes, habits, or actions are worth festering in our lives when he's offering us life in his spirit and in his kingdom. Nothing is worth it when it compares to what he's offering us in exchange. So we saw in five stories how disciples, past and present, can be influenced by other leaven. Come on, someone say, I've been under the influence of other leaven and yeast. And so, in closing, this is why we need the cross. I forgot, what does it say in Luke 9, 23? If those one, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and die daily. 
How many know I can't live on my past commitments, my past promises, my past, past? Jesus calls me today to pick that big old wooden execution stake up, not because he's grumpy or mean. He just knows how strong the influences around and even within us can be. And the only remedy is to join him in his suffering, to walk in his footsteps. And as we yoke ourselves to Jesus, Matthew 11, 28 and 30, we begin to learn and be formed by his gentle, tender voice. And we begin to be transformed and inspired and empowered when we see how he moves and how he loves and how he serves and how he makes space for all of those around him. He's never in a hurry. He's never rude or grumpy. He's just agape love, self-emptying, sacrificial love that's shaped by the cross. And the only way you and I can stay confidently in that place of being leavened by the the yeast of the kingdom is to stay in the yoke of Jesus, which is the yoke of his beautiful cross. Thank you. And so my, my question as we land the plane here is, is just from all of those things, the, the yeast of greatness, which equals power over, the us versus them mentality, the, the yeast that says, uh, you know, because I, I skipped the story where they try to rebuke the people bringing kids. The, the yeast that says, oh, the unimportant don't matter to God. The yeast that says a little bit of sin and comp- it doesn't really matter. The yeast that says my attitudes and actions only affect me. Just right now, just say, Holy Spirit, search me and know me, and then come and cleanse my heart. Just like Israel was commanded to get rid of the yeast before God sent the Passover and the rescue from slavery. So in this season of preparation, the Lord is saying, give me all of that yeast. Come under the leaven and the yoke of my kingdom. And so just right now, just do business with Jesus. Just say, Jesus, cleanse me. Whatever it is, just take a few seconds, a few moments. And say, I want to be leavened by the kingdom and his cross. Thank you, God. And just tell him today, Jesus, you are worthy of everything. My eye, my feet, my, my hands. Nothing is worth compromising that. Your grace and your truth are what I need. Just tell him that. Your grace and your truth are what I need. I want all of you, tell him that. I want the whole thing. I want all of Jesus, all of his kingdom, all of his grace, all of his truth. And maybe you're here today or watching online, line and you're like, Chatty, today is, is like Pastor Andrew said, it's, it is a time change. It's a new season. And if you're just crying out to live out a new season, if that's just burning in your heart, free from the yeast that we just described in the five or six ways, would you just stand to your feet and say, I, I'm standing in faith to say this is a new season for me. I'm saying yes afresh to the cross of Christ. I'm saying yes to the yoke of Jesus. I'm done. I know that leaven is always out there trying to, the yeast is always trying to influence, but I wanna come up under the yoke of Jesus. I wanna live in his kingdom and walk by his spirit. Come on, let's just lift our hands. In 1 Timothy 2, it says, lift your hands, holy hands in prayer, and just say, come Holy Spirit. Sanctify, cleanse, wash my house. The Bible says that he comes with a winnowing fork in his hands and he baptizes with the Holy Spirit in fire. This is, what Jesus, this is the ministry of Jesus. He baptizes us in cleansing holy fire. 
So Lord, for every hand raised, for every person standing in this room and those watching, I'm asking for your purity to just come like a fire and cleanse our hearts and our minds. Father, we say no to being more influenced by the yeast or leaven of the various things we've looked at than by the yoke of Jesus Christ and his tender leadership. Jesus, we repent for treating you as someone we just are kind of interested in instead of saying the wholehearted yes to faithfulness as our bridegroom king. And Lord, I'm asking that our church would walk in a spirit, spirit of radiant love and overcoming faith this week. And I'm thanking you that there is grace for every person in this room that comes, we don't deserve it, but that grace and truth has power to transform every person in this room and those watching online. And so we just say, Holy Spirit, have your way. We're gonna surrender our way forward and begin to walk in the yoke of Jesus this week with an increased sense of purpose and moment by moment abiding and living as your church this week. In Jesus' name, we all shouted amen and amen. Let's give him glory this morning. Hallelujah.